Welcome everyone to Two Brain Radio. It is our mission at Two Brain to provide 1 million entrepreneurs the freedom to live the life that they choose. Join us every week as we discover the very best practices to achieve perfect day and move you closer to wealth. This episode is brought to you by Insight Tax. Insight Tax is founded by John Briggs, a CrossFitter, a great big tall guy with a fantastic sense of humor, and John is like a coach for your books. These guys are not just pencil-pushing number crunchers. These guys will actually help you get toward your perfect day. If you're a member of our growth stage part of the mentoring program, you're familiar with John's videos on 1099 versus W-2 contractors. See, John used to work for the IRS. He's seen the other side of labor law, and he knows exactly where the line is drawn. Don't believe everything you read. But on the tax side, John can actually help you plan to take home more money every year and save more money on taxes because John is a certified profit-first accountant. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know that I'm a big fan of Mike Michalowicz's Profit First system. And John at Insight Tax and his staff can help you plan backward from profit to get to where you need to go. It's helped members of the Two Brain family buy houses in the first year that they've implemented Profit First. It's helped people save more money, take home more money, and make the business do what it's supposed to do, which is pay you. Overseeing, orchestrating an event within your business is never easy. I remember a few years ago, we decided to put on an event for the gym. This event brought a lot of people and a lot of competitive athletes, but I'll tell you, we never did the event again. Not because we didn't want to. It just took a lot more time and stress on our staff and myself that we decided that, hey, this wasn't worth it. We talked this week with TJ Belger about running one of the biggest events in the world, at least for Masters athletes. This is the CrossFit Masters athlete event held in North Cal or Northern California. We get into where he started with CrossFit, also running the CrossFit regionals for the first three years it was put on. And we get into how to run a successful event, identifying a problem, finding the right people and executing on the plan, really trusting within your staff and letting them take ownership and getting into the some of the do's and don'ts necessary for putting on a successful event. Enjoy the episode. All right, I'm on with TJ Belger. He is not only a business owner, but he has run an amazing program and event uh, and done it very successfully. So I want to bring him on here to share that with everybody so they know the do's and don'ts of running events and make sure that they can uh, really maximize the experience that they give to people. So welcome, TJ. Thanks for having me, Greg. I'm a huge fan of this podcast. I listen every week. We love having you on. You've been, I think, with Two Brain for a while too. So it's it's kind of nice to have some of the OGs that have been with us for a long time on here, showing the different successes that they've had with different programs and events and everything that they're doing. So let's give uh, everybody a little bit a uh, synopsis of of who you are and the businesses that Great. you run. Um, so I have been a uh, in the fitness game since 1992. I moved to California, walked into a gym that had a help wanted sign on the desk, and Fast forward 26 years later, and here I am. I was a personal trainer in San Francisco for many years. I opened a gym in 2002. We found CrossFit in 2005, and we went on to open three more gyms after that under the brand. You know, got into the Two Brain family. So funny now, I can't remember if it was two or three years ago. I've had phenomenal success with being mentored myself personally with uh, Jay Williams, who I'm lucky enough to have. And uh, on that, on the side of what we're talking about 
today specifically, we've been in the events business for, I guess, going on about eight years now. 2009, we held our first in-gym event for just our members. We were tapped when the when we games moved to regionals, became a regional event. Our gym was tapped to run regionals for the first three years in Northern California. So when I say our gym, it was members of our gym, literally members of our gym, as well as a couple few folks who worked with me in the gym and we ran the show. So for CrossFit shortly after that. So that started, I believe in, I think it was 2010. It might've been 2011, 2011. We started an event, sorry, 2010. We started an event called NorCal masters, which for the last nine years has been one of, if not the largest masters only event in the world. And along with that, we ran separate events, something called NorCal Teens, um, a bunch of other things that we did. We've held many programs as far as weekends dedicated to different types of events, like a master's uh, event for just bringing in coaches, uh, leaders in the community, uh, having lectures and all kinds of stuff like that. So yeah, we've, we've done a good number of quote unquote events. Wow. And that's, I mean, that's, that's pretty big too. Not only did you, did you help orchestrate events within, within your gym and in-house, um, we'd say smaller, I mean, still with hundreds of people, uh, but then HQ basically reached out and said, Hey, we want you to run the regional side of it too, for the first three years, which I mean, that's, that's not a small feat. Anyone that's ever been to regionals, at least when there were regionals now, they weren't, they're not small. It's, it's not a small event. It's, it's a very orchestrated and needs to be that way and have the systems in place. So I can only imagine the, the very beginning of building that. But jumping into, into this, this event, which I know is not only the biggest master's event, I think, in the world, but one of the biggest CrossFit events in, in the world. What kind of leads to that path? Was it, I mean, was it building, building these, these smaller events within the gym and kind of getting reached out by HQ and, and kind of going from there? Or like what actually made you say, okay, well, this is what, this is the kind of event we want to have. We want to have North Cal Masters event here well, every single year. I, and it's funny, hindsight being 2020 and now having the ability, once again, not to two, two brains horn too much, but having uh, now the toolbox to know how to do things moving forward. Essentially what we did with our original NorCal Master event was literally what we do now when we build programs at the gym. We identify a problem, we find somebody who's excited to help solve that problem, and then we launch it, right? The problem we identified was my, my wife was on our competition team when we went to the games for a few, in, in the early years, for a few years in a row. She was at that time, 40 years old, the mother of two small kids. Uh, we had a number of people like that on our team. We like to joke our first year we went to the, to quote unquote, the games, which was actually in Aromas. Our t-shirts said master's division on them for our team because we were just all moms and dads, right? That's basically, we were just old people trying to do this thing. From there, we identified, Hey, we think that there's this segment of people who want to do this, uh, who, you know, are a little long in the tooth, who, who can't, that this might be their thing every year, the dream of going to the games. And now obviously there were no masters events at the games at that point. 
So we said, let's put on an event for 40, literally the first year was a one day event, 40 to 49 year olds, right? And it, it worked out really well. We just, it was word of mouth. We just told the local gyms around our, within me, I don't know, maybe a 50 mile radius and, and we sold it out. Okay, cool. So the next, we had to find a larger venue and the next year it got bigger. And the following year we moved it to two days and we got even a larger venue and it just started to roll and it, and, and by solving this problem that we, we thought was a, a problem, it kind of exploded. So. Wow. That's uh, that's kind of yeah, that exactly snowball right. effect, right? You're, you're slowly, slowly picking up and, and innovating constantly. Now let's say I decide, okay, maybe I'm not running the same event or anybody out there that's, that's not running the same kind of event, but decides, Hey, you know what? I want to put together a really organized event for my community, for maybe the state or the, I mean, even the region kind of like this. What what are the first steps or what are the steps basically somebody needs to do to build the checklist of, hey, these are the things I need to get done? And also, let's let's kind of look at maybe the struggles, too. What are the things that have come up that you make sure that people are aware of so that if they do decide to do this, hey, yeah, make sure to avoid using that term snowball effect. I've been run over by the snowball enough times where I don't want that to happen anymore. So. The first thing you want to do is it's a business, okay? It doesn't even matter if you're doing it. It doesn't matter if you're doing it for charity. It doesn't matter if you're doing it for your members, for a, a good feeling. It has to have a business plan. After the business plan, so you can figure out the cost because it's going to cost something. It's going to cost you in time or effort or man hours or whatever it is. And what I always tell people is if you're going to take something on, get in touch with people who are doing it. We were, we were lucky that I could sit down with people who ran, uh, and I reached out to them, massive Ironman triathlon events, or people who put on the San Francisco Marathon, or people who put it. So, so I could sit down with people and say, what am, I, what am I getting myself into here, right? And I never assumed that I knew what to do. So I just saturated my network with being able to have coffee with people to say, you know, how does this, how does this work? So when you could, because what they're going to do is they're going to hopefully beat up your business plan. You need to bring them your lame one page, you know, written down on, with a pencil, a piece of paper business plan, let them beat the crap out of it. And because they, people typically want to help and, you know, that's two brains kind of motto there. So, and so what I did was start figuring out, okay, what do we got to do? How do we, we have to do this? The first thing was I got to get the right people. I got to get, I got to, I got to get people who, who once again, want to be here. I say to somebody who works for me, Hey, look, you're going to be in charge of securing trucks and volunteers for moving equipment. And they look at me and they say, well, okay, I, I work for you and you're telling me what to do. So, okay. If this is my job, I have to do it. That's a bad hire, right? Don't hire that guy to do that job. Say, go to your community and say, hey, here's, I need, I'm planning on doing this. I need help. And, you know, you'd be shocked at the people who step in to, to want to help, you know, especially if you've created a good network. So business plan first, network second, get the right people doing the right jobs. Once again, this is no different than running a business. And then you start to roll. When you start to roll and you make the contacts, that's the first punch in the face. Okay. Meaning you get punched in the face because you start finding costs. You start finding how long things are going to take. You start finding out, oh, wow, I should have gotten started on this thing a year ago. 
you start finding that the dreams of things that you wanted to have done have to all of a sudden start being cut and slashed. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you have a grand vision and you have to cut and slash it, look, you have to, you have to hit the learning curve, or I should say the learning curve has to fall on you at some point. And the only way that's going to happen is by you going out there, throwing it out there. And man, maybe you screw up the scoring or maybe it runs massively late. People are waiting to do the finals workout and it's eight o'clock at night, or maybe, and that way you can say, okay, I, I can't believe how much I learned. I'm either going to do it again or I'm not. And you move on from those mistakes. And typically you'll be able to really start defining it very quickly for the, for the next time. Okay. So now that we've, I mean, now that we've basically figured out the true costs, figure out the timeline of when we're going to be doing this and always feeling like, Hey, there's not enough. And I wish we would have started a lot earlier. What are the key points that people need to have in place in the sense of, I mean, like, uh, like you said, equipment, judging, somebody that orchestrates everything or, or overseas, kind of like the ring ringmaster. What are the positions that you feel like people need to have, or at least the hats and roles so that they okay, can run so if I'm going to take, which event? I do take the profit first mentality, profiting doesn't, and I think Chris would agree with this, it doesn't necessarily mean financial. Okay. So if I'm going to profit by this thing being this massively feel good event, okay. How am I going to ensure that profit? If it is going to be profit, meaning I'm going to break even on the cost of this thing, I'm not going to lose any. Okay, well, how is that going to happen? You really have to start digging into the homework as far as the different costs to you, your community, your team that you're going to be running this thing with. The last thing I would wish upon people is that when you make a decision to run an event like this and you start putting people into place that it actually ends a relationship. We've all been there. We've all been in situations where we're like, okay, we're doing this thing. And then it just, something happens and you, you hadn't thought about it. You hadn't figured it through. You didn't know how you were going to thank that person. Some people are great with a handshake. Some people need your time. Other people need to be compensated. You also have to figure out what legally you can do and can't do. Okay. You can't, you can't say to somebody, Hey, you're going to drive trucks and you, you didn't put them on your insurance, right? You can't say to somebody, Oh, you're going to, you're going to, I don't know, uh, be in charge of the medical tent and they don't have their CPR. Right. So you really have to do your due diligence in a lot of different ways to make sure that things aren't going to, you're not, you don't want to have to yell at anybody. Let's put it that way. Right. You don't want to have a bad emotional moment because Running an event will peak your emotional, I don't know what you, it'll push your emotional limits. It'll push you all the way to the very edges because things are happening. We're talking about, you know, if you're talking about what we're talking about, you're talking about an event, which means people are keeping score, which means that people want to win and they don't want to lose. So you've got fans, competitors, coaches, judges, head judges. And at the same time, somebody, you know, the, the catering guy is like, Hey, I got to leave. You got to pay me. Right. The last thing you want to deal with are eight people screaming at you at the same time. Now we've resolved that because we have very defined roles. When we put an event on, if you have a question, you know, I will be, I know what my role is. And if 
typically my role is to be on the mic, on the floor, one of the roles I have in that moment. Don't come up to me and ask me a judging question. That's not my department. And to be honest, I don't even know the answer. When I was <laughs> when I was new at this, I would give an answer and the head judge is like, that's totally wrong. And I'm like, okay, I gotta learn to just shut up, right? Uh, you, people might be like, wow, this guy's running the event and he doesn't even know what the movement standard is on kipping pull-ups. No, I don't. I don't want people to come up and ask me those questions no different than if they were to ask me, you know, are you guys serving Bud or Bud Light? That's not my, that's not my department, right? So getting all those little minutia things divvied out and then setting people up for success or failure and letting them go and run it is, is key. No, once again, no different than if it were a business. When you run an event like this, after after everything is over with, do you guys do any kind of like after action report or or anything to kind of in, innovate on to the next year's uh, so event? My equipment guy gives me the breakdown of how it went and how it could go better next year. My door person gives me the idea of how it could go, what happened and how, because I don't even know, you know, she's working, she's running the door. She's collecting money. She's putting wristbands on. She's, she's, you know, in charge of that whole department. I don't even see what's happened. I don't get anywhere near that area when the event is going on. My registration person, my person. And when I say my wife has, you know, should be on this call if she had the time because she has, my job is almost 96 straight hours of work around the event because I'm typically in charge of equipment. I'm in charge of the equipment team, meaning, you know, making sure all everything is there and ready to roll. She has to deal with the other 12, 11 months and 26 days of the event, meaning answering questions, working the social media, setting up, you know, testing the workouts, getting the feedback, finding out uh, from people, from the venue, securing venues, signing, putting down deposits, getting the information out to people and, and getting the feedback and having to answer every single question. Where should we stay when we come in? Well, on the website, here's the host hotel. It's been up for six months, but I'm customer service. So I'm telling you once again, here's the hotel, um, <laughs> all that stuff that she has to go through for the whole rest of the year. And the second it's over, people are like, what is the date for next year? What's the host hotel? What, and, uh, you know, so she, she handles so much of that, that side of things that is just, you know, it is a, 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 a phenomenal amount of work. I, and when, we now start getting into talking about how our event differs maybe from something like Wadapalooza, Granite Games, some of these other events. And our mission is to support this master's community. That is what we're trying to do. We're trying to say, look, we're putting this event out because, and we have people who, we have a lot of people who, who are games athletes, right? Which is great. We want to support that. We also, in the corral of what we're doing, when the athletes are lined up in the corral before they come out for their heat, uh, an athlete will say, oh, you know what, by the way, I don't have pull-ups or I can't do double-unders. And it's like, okay, so we're doing, you're about to do a workout that is 12 chest-to-bar pull-ups, 100 double-unders and power snatches at 95 pounds. And you're saying you don't have double-unders and pull-ups. What are you doing here, right? And their response is, I'm just here to have fun. <laughs> 
True. And that is something that we have stood behind from day one. We are supporting any master who wants to put themselves out there. And they're like, maybe today I'll get my first double under, or maybe today I'll get my first chest to bar. We want to, we always are wanting to support that community from top to bottom, whatever way you look at it. One of the big separators for our event is we don't do an online qualifier. And when you don't do, when you do do an online qualifier, so when I sat down with people who run the bigger events, and obviously regionals is easy, right? You qualify. You can either do this or you can't. With ours, we're, we're, we're celebrating these athletes. We, we, we have judges who say, oh, okay, I can obviously, I can put my clipboard down here because we're just trying to get this person a double under. We're not worried about counting a hundred double unders in a row. And we want, we tell our judges like, okay, let's come on, let's get this person their first double under. That is incredibly fulfilling. No different than if somebody, which we've had said multiple times to us, when someone comes to us who's been to the games as a master and they say to us, this was better than the games. Wow. Well, how great is that? You treated us better. We felt, we felt special judging the quality of it. Just wow. How great. And that's it right there. And you know what you win in our event? A swag bag. You win stuff that we managed to get people to donate, essentially, right? No cash, no, because, you know, the online qualifier for events is typically where events make the money. I have had event directors at the biggest events in the world tell me we lose money on the event, but we make such a big profit on the online qualifier, it's worth doing. Well, okay, we have to scrape and claw and make phone calls and and try to develop relationships right now for our event next year, because that's the type of event we run. We are not looking to crown the fittest master in the world. We're looking to put on the best event we can for the people who register for the event. That's it, period, whether they have double unders or not. So, and that is fulfilling to us. And I think that's that's such an amazing outlook uh, for an event because I think there's too many of us that have had these, we had these athletes that come in that want to be competitive. And when you're trying to have a community that's based around supporting each other, it's sometimes hard unless your entire gym is filled with these competitive athletes that hold each other up and keep each other accountable and do the workouts with each other and create their own culture, subculture within the gym. It usually never turns out that way. It usually gets the clicky is usually the term a lot of people use, or they feel like they're the competitive athletes are entitled and it just doesn't really make for a great experience, whether that's members watching these athletes do their own programming or they're in class and they're just 10 times above everybody else in class. It sometimes doesn't always give them that, uh, that warm, fuzzy feeling of this is the place for me, uh, because the experience, but it sounds like you guys kind of take those competitive athletes that want to be competitive and show them how amazing of an experience they can have through a an event compared to just being competitive, just trying to beat the person next to you. And I think that's huge. That's a really amazing uh, outlook that it sounds like you guys have, TJ, on the event that I think a lot of people need to start doing, whether that's within the gym or outside of the gym or whatever events yeah, they run. Like that's, you know, it, it, that's it's, profound. I really love that you do I get, that. I, I assume we've had... No, okay, so look, we've gone... We've sent teams and individuals to the games, right? The promised land, right? The, the Mount Everest. We've been there, done that. 
Will we do it again? Sure. If the, if the stars align and the right athletes are here, we want to support that. But it's no different than how we want to support somebody who's raising money for the local 5K cancer run, right? Why would those two things be any different, right? We want to support every member in our community. Now, it could just be the, the culture and the community that we've created here. But, you know, for example, I believe this last year from our gym, from our gyms, our multiple gyms, I think we had maybe four athletes compete from our gyms. And we have our, our communities, mostly masters. I mean, just the, the area that we live in, we have very few folks in their 20s. We, we have a large teen program, and then everybody else is kind of 35 plus, all right, because it's just a, it's a suburb, right? And we probably had four or five people compete, but we had probably, I don't know, from our gyms, 50, 60, 70 people volunteer. So the satisfaction when you look at that of, say, of people saying, hey, I want to help. Well, oh my gosh, how great is that? right? They just, they just show up and I'm going to dedicate my Saturday or my Sunday or both days to helping you run this event because um, I, I like being part of this community and I want to give back. Well, if you're looking at profit first and that's part of it, all right, plan accomplished, right? Mission accomplished. So the future, the next thing I feel like I, I have to kind of put in here, the future of what events are. I think if we're anybody is, you know, no, at the same time, we put on a yearly event called the TJ's Rodeo. Okay. It's called the TJ's Rodeo because many years ago, and it's funny because just recently there's been a, an announcement by CrossFit that they're now having this licensing ability. And I don't know how much you've read about it, but they're saying, okay, look, if you license your event, CrossFit will stand behind it and all that good stuff. Right. Well, we had this thing called the TJ's Games that we've done since 2009. It, it is our inter-gym competition. It's for our gym members. I think in 2011-ish, around there, I got a cease and desist email from CrossFit saying you cannot use the word games as a CrossFit affiliate. And as we were putting on our event that weekend where I was like, well, it's a little late now because it's happening tomorrow. We, a woman walked by, we had it at this, our local civic center here in, in our county. We were holding and a person walked by and said, what's going on here? And one of our volunteers said, oh, it's a, it's a event we do for our, uh, the members of these gyms. And she said, it looks like a rodeo for city folk. And boom, the name TJ's Rodeo became the name from then on. Now we put on this event, which is great, which is, it, it, it's all about the community. We don't, we don't look for sponsors. We don't look for vendors. We, we, we try my business manager, Jessica, who works tirelessly at all of our events, sees if we can get some local businesses that are, might be interested, but we don't kill ourselves trying to do that. When you look at a bigger event outside of that, and you start looking down the line of trying to find vendors, sponsors, and you know, you want to put on a, a village of people who are interested in, in, or a vendor village, Thing, the tides are changing, and now with the the you know the future of how people qualify for the games or what their goals are, or what they're shooting for, I think you have to take that into account now. Because if you're fit aid, 
if you are some jump rope company or beef jerky company or whatever, you're looking at 16 sanctionals now, which are going to have a lot of eyeballs. And we, for our event, have to look to the future and say, okay, they're probably not, why would they, <laughs> as they've already told us, why would we come to your event, right? You're not putting anybody in the games. You're just putting on an event that's regional and local. Mm -hmm. But the reality is in the past, we've, we've counted on those companies. And now for the future, we have to try to figure out how we're going to do this if we want an event of this magnitude to continue, because it's a, spe it's a specialty event. It's something that if you are putting on an event and you say, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to call rogue and we're going to call crave beef jerky. And we're going to, and they're going to, and we're going to see, oof, I would, I would call them first, get that rejection out of the way. So you're not counting on things like that. I think you're better off if you're starting one of these things Go to the local paint store, you know, go to your, go to your neighbor who makes pottery and see if they want to have something to do with it. Uh, start there. So starting, basically just starting small, start with, start within your community, the, the businesses, maybe like, maybe one degree of separation, like-minded people that could pro possibly be interested in doing this to kind of help build that up. And I'm guessing eventually that's when you'll probably have those bigger companies like Rogue and FitAid and all these other ones kind of reach out to you and say, Hey, we, we want to start sponsoring too. Hey, we, we saw this last year and we want to, we want to definitely be there for this. So it could lead to, to bigger companies coming in and, and doing sponsored sponsored events you into know, it but really starting off small it sounds like okay you have five weeks of putting on an event and if you're not part we do something that we use a lot of the intramural open pointers or, or guidelines but we do a gym versus gym versus gym competition our gyms compete against each other right rather than having teams so each gym has an event once a week where anybody participating, it takes place in these hours at these times and people come and they cheer and all that stuff. Now, you have the opportunity at those events to say to your local coffee shop or, I don't know, somebody who's trying to uh, a massage therapist or anybody to say, hey, would you want to come in and be present at this event? I'm going to charge you X to be there. All right. See how it goes. The worst thing that could happen is they say no, right? Now, that gives you a little bit of experience of saying, you know, because, you know, in the back of your head, you're saying in six months, I want to put on a little local throwdown where I'm going to do an event where every gym in the area can bring a team of three people and we're going to have a little throwdown here, a gym versus gym, or we're going to do a master's event, or we're going to do a teen event, or we're going to do an individual event, but I'm going to throw something on. And, you know, I'm going to go to the local plumbing company or I'm going to go to wherever and see if they're going to get more eyeballs. And, and maybe I'll expand out a little bit because, you know, this plumbing company, they, they take care of a 50 mile radius. So maybe I'll check in with them or maybe. So it, it, it gives you practice of trying to get the right sponsorship, the right eyeballs. And we've had sponsors, Two Brains Been One, Mobility Wad year after year who support us by saying, this is, a, this is, we just want to be involved with this. We just want to support this because we love the mission. And it might not have anything to do with them actually getting direct response from your event, other than it's one of the things they do. They do. We have a billboard, we do Facebook ads, and we hang a banner at the TJ's Rodeo every year. 
because we like to support it. So like I said, you can't, you can't be afraid to ask. You have to ask because if somebody's going to write you a check, oh man, that's only going to make the event better. You're going to be able to say, I can now rent this or I can buy this for the event or I can, I can make it that much better. So you got to start, you got to start by asking. And that makes sense. I mean, really to get, to get people involved with that and taking that first step into not only getting sponsors, but getting people even part of the event and signing up for it. You just need to take the the first step. You need to do it and, and see what happens. Cause if you don't do that, you're not going to learn. Like, I love that you said, Hey, call up rogue and, and all the other ones and, and just get rejected right away. Uh, because it's going to make it a lot easier for you now to go to those smaller people or asking people to sign up for this event and not, it's maybe funny. not get rejected I as fast or not get rejected at Bill all. And people are going to sign Henninger, up for these things. From rogue Henninger from rogue from 2000, maybe eight, right. Where he reached out to me and said, Hey, I'm a, I think he, his first product were maybe rings or maybe lifting belts. I can't remember. It was some soft goods, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was the metal rings. And, and because yes. I think his uncle was. Yeah, I uh, think it was the rings. I think it was those metal so rings. So things at a industrial level. And so that might have been saying, uh, hey, if you want to buy them, uh, sure. So I, I, I don't know if he remembers me, but we have some relationship. I, I don't even get rejected by rope. They just don't respond. Right now, at the same time, I don't stop asking. Right, I send an email to this magical, you know, contact info thing, and I and I don't hear anything. And a few months later, I throw another one out there, and I throw you know another one out there. And they're too busy shipping containers to Saudi Arabia and doing whatever they're doing. But who knows? Maybe they'll loop back around and say, "Yeah, you know what? Sorry, we've been distracted with stuff. We'd love to help out." I'm not going to stop. Right. So that's the main thing. You got to be tenacious. The good comes with the bad, meaning you're setting yourself up for criticism, right? You're, you're putting on an event. So you're setting yourself up for, for people to, uh, to not like it for whatever reason. They didn't get the end result they were looking for. And they might take to social media. They might. And that's just part of the deal. It's just a bad Yelp review, bad, bad Google review. But, you know, okay, move on. You got to go. So don't, don't be discouraged. And what, and, and I'm happy to talk to anybody through this stuff. I typically get almost minutia questions like what scoring system do you use or what insurance company do you use? And I say, well, we, we use this. Hey, I got a quick question back. How, what's the budget for this event? And they're like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> like, okay. Well, you know, there's some things you might want to think about. So we, it's been great. It's been completely exhausting and cr- absolutely crushing. I came off, I just came off. I couldn't talk last week because I got so sick after our last event. And that's something that comes with the territory. And, you know, the work, like I said, that my wife does for this thing and the, the, the work that my entire family has to do to put this thing on. And at the end of the day, you sit back and go, okay, people were really happy. And that absolutely fulfills me. I, I think the Guido Trinidad who runs Wadapalooza, I think he sold it. I think that was the latest that I saw. And maybe that's your goal to build something to sell. I don't know. It, it, it probably would help to know a little bit about what the end game is and, and know where you're, what direction you're heading in. So that message is pretty consistently there. I don't know if Guido knew what he was doing when he started Wadapalooza or not, but it just, 
it just, it helps to, to drive you forward a little bit. Now with all of this, you, I mean, you have to not only have the people in the right seats on the bus, but you really have to let them have ownership because I mean, if something goes wrong at that front door or check-ins or the athlete area or whatever it is, you have to ha- let them kind of have that ownership to correct it and make the right decision and, and entrust they do. So all that what does that kind of look like for you? I mean, is, is that hard to do? Is that easy to do? Well, I'm not at my, if I'm not at my, one of my gyms, they get opened. A coach opens the gym, a coach teaches a class or does a PT session or things happen all the time in my business, right? And most likely if you're moving your way down, or I should say up the line, as far as being a gym owner through two brand, that's what happens. And you, you, you entrust people to do things. If it doesn't work out, you go back and say, why did this not happen? And at this point, because you have, I always preach to my staff, Two things make you good at anything, time and volume, okay? If you've been doing it for a long time and you've been doing a lot of it, you're probably going to end up being pretty good at it. And some of those things I realize, I tell the people, some of you guys don't have those. Maybe you have one of two or you don't have any. And I'm just going to trust that you're going to do the best you can. So if the front door, the front of the house person is new, which I'm lucky she's not, but the first year she took it over, I said, just do the best you can. People are going to try to sneak in. You're not everybody's going to have a wristband. People are going to have Amex and we don't accept Amex and you're just going to do the best you can. Here is the game plan. Here's the written out policy that we have, your script. And then that's it. And it's like, okay, you know, standard operating procedures. Just, this is what you do. And I'm going to walk away and you're going to be fine. And when I have a brand new coach and I hand them the keys to the gym and I've hired them and they, they're, they move to my area and they don't really know anybody and they shadow me and they shadow a few of the coaches and we decide it's time for them to run the show and I hand them the keys and I'm like, okay, 5 a.m. tomorrow morning, you're on and you got to let them go, right? So I don't know if that's maybe easy for me to do because I have to, it's my life and I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy that I'm, I have the ability to do that. And I, I think that's that's the perfect place to kind of wrap it up and really entrusting into your, I mean, you entrust into your staff the same way you'd entrust any of these people to make the right decisions. I mean, like you said, if you're not there at 5 a.m. and they need to make a quick decision on whatever's going on, you've already laid that out through your sew ops and through your handbook and playbook but really making sure that they uh, they they make the best decision possible and they'll probably make a mistake. And I, I, I love that you're able to create that culture within your staff of, of kind of explaining, hey, like you, you're going to make the best decision you can at the right time. Um, but if, if you mess up, understand like we're going to work through it and, and we're going to do the right thing. If, if somebody wants to reach out to you, TJ, they listen to this episode and they say, hey, you know what? I'm really, I'm having trouble running this, this event or this program that we're doing right now. And TJ I listen to this episode and say, hey, I want to reach out to That's TJ the easiest way and, and ask him a few questions. What's the best way for business manager? To reach out She'll to you? schedule something for us and away we go. Happy to answer any and all questions. If it's easy to do by email, great. If not, I'm happy to talk to anyone in person on the phone or any way, shape, or form. Awesome. Well, TJ, thank you so much for the time and being able to walk through the steps to have. I mean, you have one of the biggest sanctioned events in the world even, but really for masters too. And thank you so much for being able to share that with us and share that with the audience. So thank they you, can start having Big ideas fan. and kind of build off what you've said uh, and create events that are super successful for themselves. 
As always, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We greatly appreciate you and everyone that has subscribed to us. If you haven't done that, please make sure you do. Drop a like to the episode, share with a friend, and if you haven't already, please write us a review and rate us on what you think. If you hated it, let us know. If you loved it, even better. See you guys later. Bye.